Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of Gin and Spooks. I'm Laura. I'm Emma. Emma, did you think we'd hit 10 episodes? No. <laughs> no, it's a nice surprise, honestly. I know. Like, I'm dead proud of our little podcast. I was just about to say that I'm proud of us too. Yeah. In celebration of our 10th episode, one, this is getting released on Emma's birthday. So happy birthday, Emma. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and two, we are talking about, well, what are we talking about today, Emma? Pulse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And what are we drinking tonight, Emma? It is an apple and elderflower gin cocktail and this is very tasty it does not i can't yeah. taste the alcohol in it no well you're gonna be a bit hungry tomorrow <laughs> <gasps> so are you <laughs> so i've got a tiny little couple of definitions about cults so a cult is a social group which is defined by its unusual religious spiritual or philosophical beliefs or by its common interest in a particular personality like satan object or a goal and then a cult leader is often someone who is very narcissistic, charismatic, self-absorbed and unpredictable. They've grown up thinking that they are superior to everybody else. They keep their followers on edge with their unpredictable mood slash behavioural changes. So like their followers have a constant desire to please their leader. Um, they demand extreme lo- loyalty. They are not open to criticism. They need to control everything. And they are driven by their ego and they believe they deserve all these demands they're making. So, like, they just think it's normal that people should give them all the shit that they want. They uh, often have an inflated sense of self-importance, which can often come from what they believe to be an encounter with a god or a higher power. So, soci- sociopaths, really. Psychopaths, sociopaths, they're good candidates for being cult leaders. And yeah, definitely. I think we've got two good examples of quite well-known cults but like narcissists both have got narcissistic leaders i believe yeah yeah when i was doing um charles manson and reading up his uh history i was like holy shit i mean there was a lot of information like based around the whole situation of yeah. um being trialed the murders and stuff but um yeah i was like oh my god all of this is relevant and i, I know my hands <laughs> I can't write enough <laughs> yep yep i was the same with Jonestown and Jim Jones. Did you want to do it go first with Manson? I can, yes. Charles Mills Manson was an American criminal and cult leader. In 1967, he formed what became known as the Manson family, a quasi-commune based in California. His followers committed a series of nine murders at four locations in July and August 1969. Although the motives for the murders was dis- disputed by Manson, the Los Angeles County District Attorney believed that Manson intended to start a a race war. In 1971, he was convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit for the deaths of seven people, including the actress Sharon Tate. The prosecution contended that while Manson never directly ordered the murders, his ideology constituted an overt act of conspiracy. So I found out a little bit about his childhood because I was like, well, surely he can't just all of a sudden want to create a cult. Yeah. Something has obviously happened in his childhood um, for him to become the way he was. So Manson's (laughs) biological father appears to have been Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. of Kentucky against whom Kathleen Maddock, who was his mother, filed a paternity suit that resulted in agreed judgment in 1937. Manson may never have known about his biological father, Scott intermittently worked at local offences, mills, and also had a local reputation as a con artist. He allowed Maddox to believe that he was an army colonel, although colonel was merely his given name. When Maddox told Scott she was pregnant, he told her he had been called away on army business. After several months, she realised he had no intention of returning. Did you say his first name was just Colonel? So, like, he was pretending he was in the army, but actually his name was just Colonel? Yeah, was that why you were giggling? Yeah. <laughs> That's such a random name. I mean, Americans are crazy sometimes, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Like, hey, Apple. Hey, hey Apple. Yeah. <laughs> North. Um, Northwest. I know. Anyway, um, yeah, so he basically turned out to be a con artist um, and blagged that, obviously, he was an army uh, army colonel 
um, and said that he had to go on business uh, for the army and then she just assumed or figured out eventually that obviously he was bullshitting yeah um and he'd just fucked off yeah um <coughs> so obviously maddox married william eugene manson um a laborer at a dry cleaning business maddox went on drinking sprees with a brother luther leaving charles with multiple babysitters on August oh. the 1st, 1939, Luther and Kathleen Maddox were arrested for assault and robbery. Kathleen and Luther were sentenced to five and ten years of imprisonment, respectively. Manson was placed in the home of an aunt and uncle in West Virginia. His mother was paroled in 1942, and Manson later characterised the first weeks after she returned from prison as the happiest time in his life. Oh, that's really sad. I know. The family moved to Indi- Indianapolis. 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 Yeah, yeah. I've, got a, I've got a lot about Indianapolis in mine. <laughs> <laughs> Indianapolis. I think I'm saying it right. I don't know. Um, where she met an alcoholic named Lewis and married him. So his first offences, so he reported in an interview with Diane Sawyer that um, when he was nine years old, he set his school on fire. <laughs> it's a big achievement. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed, actually. I shouldn't be, but was anyone hurt or was uh, the school just on fire? I don't know. Um, all the was that his school was on fire, but um, no. it wasn't like a known crime that he had committed. It was just uh, a, yeah. I think, yeah. But um, there's like further detail later on that obviously explains why he probably did that. Mm. Um, so Manson also got in trouble for truancy and petty theft, and he was placed in the... Gibbalt School for Boys in Indiana, a school for male delinquents, uh, which was run by Catholic priests. Ooh. So, um, yeah, Gibbalt was a strict school where punishment for even the tiniest fraction included beatings with either a wooden paddle or a leather strap. Manson ran away from, a, from Gibbalt and slept in the woods under bridges and wherever else he could find shelter. This is quite sad, actually. Yeah. You know, when, like, so... You know when you watch like Infinity War, yeah, Thanos, and then you're yeah. like, but he's a bad guy. But why do I relate to him a little bit? It was yeah. kind of that situation when I was doing the research because I was like, I understand how he managed to become who he is now. Yeah, but he definitely went the wrong way about it, but that's because he didn't really get the support that he needed. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's a little bit upsetting, but it was pretty shit at those times. Um, yeah. So, in 1948, Manson committed his first known crime by robbing a grocery store. At first, the robbery was simply to find something to eat. However, Manson found a cigar box containing just over $100, and he took the money. He used the money to rent a room in Indianapolis's kids' row and to buy food. Manson was arrested during a nighttime raid on on a store. In the investigation that followed, he was linked to two early armed robberies. He was sent to the Indiana Boys School, a strict reform school. At the school, other students allegedly raped Manson with the encouragement of a staff member and Jesus he was repeatedly beaten. Yeah. Aww. He ran away from school 18 times. 18 times. Yeah. Um, I don't want to feel sorry for him because he's a bit of a monster, <laughs> but at the same time, that yeah. poor kid, there's just no one to look out for him, is there? And they, they ju- he just, so he steals from that shop to get himself some money for food and a place to live and then yeah anyway I I really felt bad for him as well because he um he eventually like developed a self-defense game Mm. um so if he was unable to defend himself he would you know screech grimace and wave his arms to convince aggressors that he was like mad he was insane yeah because he he couldn't look after himself so uh, after being discharged from prison in 1967, Manson began attracting a group of followers, mostly around young women from around California. They were later known as the Manson family. So, hmm. to the murders. <laughs> the Manson family developed into a doomsday cult when Manson became fixated on the idea of an imminent apocalyptic race war between Americans, America's black population and the larger white population. A white supremacist, Manson believed that black people in America would rise up and kill all whites except for Manson and his family, but they were not intelligent enough to survive on their own. They would need a white man to lead them, and so they would serve Manson as their master. Oh, my God. I was like, all right, okay. Yeah. There's this guy called David Farrier that's like the New Zealand version of Louis Theroux. 
like looks like him and everything. And he does this series called Dark Tourist. And on there, there's an episode or part of an episode on there's this village. I want to say it's in South Africa, but I'm not 100% sure. That's just white people. And all of them are preparing for an apocalypse. They're how, well, the kind of apocalypse that you've just explained yeah. that Manson thinks that the black people or people of colour are going to rise up and attack them. So they've all got these, they all live in these big gated houses with barbed wire and stuff. And they do practice runs of evacuating their homes. And they've got these, they've got these like plants planted in a pipe that they can just pick up and move. So if they have to relocate, they've got like food plants ready to go as soon as they move there and stuff like that. I would recommend That's the insane. series. I'd recommend the series Dark Tourist to everyone. But there's, there's that one bit, that episode. I think it's, <laughs> now I'm like, or is that a Louis Theroux documentary? But I'm pretty sure it's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's one of the David Farrier episodes. <laughs> um, that's insane. Yeah. Like, but, yeah. I think it's but, just deeply ingrained racism that these white people know that these yeah. people of colour have been treated so badly that they believe that there's gonna they're going to uprise uprise yeah you know what I mean so yeah like it's almost like some sort of weird cognitive dissonance that these white people are like yes we've treated them so shit that they're gonna uprise against us and kill us all but we don't deserve it even though we're so racist that we think that the people of color deserve that I don't know you see what you see the point I'm trying to get across (laughs) yeah at that point like all right fair enough it's like you know racism is so deeply ingrained into the like you know white society that like why don't you just learn to be better yeah why don't you just better yourselves why is your why is their reaction to like become a doomsday like apocalyptic like family so so twisted instead of just like educating yourself to learn Mm -hmm. how to not be racist yeah I don't don't Mm -hmm. get it and this is why I don't understand humans because Mm -hmm. Some of the reactions people do are just ridiculous. Like yeah. it's not logical, and it's not no. going to get anywhere because racism will continue to happen if they don't better themselves. Yeah, and they should better themselves, especially if they're yeah. so scared of an uprising. Yeah, but it's the same with like you know the whole like uh, situation happening with um, Sarah Everard. Yeah, why? You know, I've, I understand that you know people don't want to like be classified in like a large group because of what one person or a small minority of people have done yeah but like just educate yourselves men need to learn how to not fucking attack a woman like yeah enough enough with the victim blaming exactly like we're all in it together like and again this is the same situation like just educate yourself yes be a better person be a nice person be kind I unfollowed anyone that um, piped up with the all lives matter thing. I unfollowed. And then the not all men thing also unfollowed. Um, yeah. We all know it's not all men, but it's yeah. what you said. Like, you don't know which man is going to, like, no. suddenly turn on you. And But that's why I feel so passionate about it, though, because, like, I'm a feminist anyway. Yeah. But feminist means being, you know, it's equal right, rights between men and women. And everyone. Like, exactly. So anyway. But anyway. So, late in 1968, Manson adopted the term Halter Skelter, taken from a song on the, um, on the Beatles' recently released White Album to refer to this upcoming war. Halter Skelter. I've not actually heard that song. My brain's immediately gone, Halter Skelter, oh yeah, and I don't know if that's actually part of the song or if that's just <laughs> my brain inventing something. I'm sure it must be part of the song, and I've definitely listened to the song before because I've always known that Charles Manson's Halter Skelter was linked to the Beatles song. It's just always, yeah. that's the first thing I think of whenever I hear Halter Skelter is the but two of them. Anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> In early August 1969, Manson encouraged his followers to start Helter Skelter by committing murder in LA and making it appear racially motivated. The Manson family gained national notoriety, said a big word, (laughs) for the murders of actress Sharon Tate and four others in her home on August 8th and 9th of 1969 and Lino and Rosemary LaBianca the next day. Four of the family members executed the Tate and LaBianca murders under Manson's instructions. While it was later accepted at trial that Manson never expressly ordered for the murders, his behaviour constituted a conviction of first-degree murder, 
and conspiracies to commit murder. Evidence pointed to Manson's obsession with inciting a race war by killing those he fought, in quotation marks, pigs, and his belief that this would show the other how to do the same. Family members were also responsible for other assaults, thefts, crimes, and the attempted assassination of President Ford in Sacramento. Ooh. I know, big one there. Bloody big <laughs> one. So we'll go on to the trial. So the state of California tried Manson for the Tate and LaBianca murders with co-defendants Leslie Van Houten, Susan Atkins, and Patricia Krenwinkel. Co-defendant Tex Watson was tried at a later date after being extradited from Texas. On July 24, 1970, the first day of testimony, Manson appeared in court with an X carved into his forehead. His followers issued a statement from Manson saying, I have X'd myself from your world. The following day, Manson's co-defendants Van Houten, Atkins and Krenwinkel also appeared in court with an X carved on their foreheads. That's really fucking weird. I'd be like, get in the fucking bin. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if that's where the you know on computers when you want to close a window you click the X button. I wonder if that's where they <laughs> got the idea from. <laughs> I mean, probably because all of this is absolutely ridiculous. But <laughs> obviously they're like brainwashed. Yeah. And Manson I can't really speak for, but um Yeah. Ridiculous. But <laughs> members of the Manson family uh, camped outside of the courthouse and held a vigil on a street corner because they excluded from because they were excluded from the courtroom for being disruptive. Some of the followers also carved crosses into the foreheads. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> During the trial, members of the Manson family appeared in saffron robes and threatened to immolate themselves if Manson was convicted, just as nuns in Vietnam had done in protests of the war. Ooh. It's a bit of an extreme reaction there. Yeah. Um, the state presented dozens of witnesses during the trial. However, the primary witness was Linda Kasabian, who was present during the Tate murders on August 8th and 9th of 1969. Kasabian provided graphic testimony of the Tate murders, which she observed from outside the house. She was also in the car with Manson on the following evening when he ordered LaBianca killings. Kasabian spent days on the witness stand being cross-examined by the defendant's lawyers. After testifying, Kasabian went into hiding for the next 40 years. 40? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, like, fucked off immediately. She knew that, like... She's, yeah, right, I've done right. Out, yeah, that he'd, like... Did he, was she testifying against him? Yeah. Yeah, so she knew as soon as... If he ever got out, she would be his number one target. Slash, yeah. she probably knew that the public would know her face so that if she lived in any of the areas close, she would be harassed by them as well. Definitely. In early August 1970, President Nixon told reporters that he believed that Manson was guilty of the murders, either directly or indirectly. Manson obtained a copy of the newspaper and held it up, held up the headline to the jury. Judge Charles H. Alder polled each member of the jury to determine whether each juror saw the headline and whether it affected his or her ability to make an independent decision. All of the jurors affirmed that they could still decide independently. On yeah. October the 5th, 1970, Manson attempted to kill Judge Older while the jury was present in the room. Oh, my God. Manson first threatened Older and then jumped over his lawyer's table with a sharpened pencil in the direction of Older. Manson was, was restrained before reaching the judge. While being led out of the courtroom, Manson screamed at Older, in the name of Christian justice, someone should cut your head off. Oh, my God. That's brutal. I know. I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. But... <laughs> no, but... <laughs> not if you were the um, judge, like... Not if I was the judge, no. Meanwhile, the female defendants began ch- chanting in Latin. Uh, yeah, be burning that... some sage. <laughs> yeah, get that holy water out, damn it. Yeah. Judge Alder began wearing a thirty-eight caliber pistol to the trial afterwards. Oh, America. Yeah. On November the 16th, 1970, the state of California arrested its case after presenting 22 weeks' worth of evidence. The defendants then stunned the courtroom by announcing that they had no witnesses to present and rested their case. <laughs> so they didn't even defend themselves, really. It was just... No. But um, So Manson wanted to testify on his uh, own behalf, so the judge allowed him, and this is what he uh, testified. I would do a voice, but I'm... No. Bad. So I'm not doing it. 
<laughs> so he said, these children that come at you with knives, they are your children. You taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. Most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you did not want. I know this, that in your hearts and your souls, you are as much responsible for the Vietnam War as I am for killing these people. I can't judge any of you. I have no malice against you and no ribbons for you. But I think it is high time that you all start looking at yourselves and judging the lie that you live in. My father is the jailhouse. My father is your system. I am only what you made me. I am only a reflection of you. You want to kill me? I am already dead. Have been all my life. I've spent 23 years in tombs that you were, that you built. That's kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, I mean he is um, like a subject of like the poor, um, sis, you know, justice system. Yeah. And poor social looking after, foster system, that's the word. Yeah, because, like, you know, he was putting into them reform schools where he basically yeah. got attacked and stuff. And obviously if he came out and said, you know, I've been abused as a yeah. kid, they won't give a shit anyway, so. No. It doesn't sound like he ever had a loving family to look after him. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't forgive starting a cult and murdering people, but. Yeah, and, def- I mean, yeah. Yeah. And the Vietnam War was kind of bullshit and it was just pushy Americans like going and dealing with another country's issues. Yeah, America likes to get involved mm-hmm. sometimes when they don't need to. And this is why yeah. they have so many attacks happen because they retaliate for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was the Charles Manson story. So love it. You liked it. So it's really interesting because I'll tell you, I'll tell you Jonestown story, and it's around the same time. So there's. lots of not similarities but there's also a whole thing with race there's also like the korean war and the vietnam war are going on and it's during so which is during the cold war which is when there was all everyone was really hostile like soviet union versus america and nuclear threat and yeah so Jonestown, Jim Jones was born May 13th, 1931 in a rural area of Indiana. He is of Irish and Welsh descent. So he is white. He is a white man. I think he came from quite a poor background because it's, at one point during his childhood, they lived in a shack with no plumbing. So he's come from very humble beginnings. A young Jim Jones loved reading, but he used to read works of people like Stalin Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, Gandhi, and Hitler. I don't know if you've noticed, most of them are communists. Hitler, also very racist, which is an interesting one to throw in there. But, you know, he also had an intense interest in religion and would quite often preach to other children, like stand on the stairs of the school and preach to other kids as a way of making friends, or to try and make friends. Other kids described him as weird and obsessed with religion and death. Apparently, he likes to hold funerals for small animals in his parents' garden. I don't know if that's sweet or... I know. Very conflicted with that last statement. So, after he graduated high school, he married Marceline Baldwin, and she was a nurse. They moved to Bloomington, Indiana in 1949, where Jim Jones attended college and he became inspired by Eleanor Roosevelt's speech on the plight of African-Americans in the USA. So he's, I'm not sure what he was studying at college, but he's quite, so he's quite a well-educated man and interested in socialism and race. So at age 20 in 1951, he started going to meetings of the American Communist Party in Indianapolis so this is around the start of the cold war so communism was seen as the like complete enemy to the usa and capitalism so jones began getting harassed for his political views and he became increasingly frustrated by the communist witch hunt that was going on in the usa so this is this is kind of the time when he came up with the idea of joining the church because this would give him the platform to preach his communist slash socialist ideas. But because he was a man of the church, it wouldn't seem like he was a communist. He wouldn't be hunted down. It would just look like he's a good man, priest. Yeah. 
So yeah, he as a as a holy man, he would not be persecuted for these beliefs as it was seen as part of the church. Um, in 1952, he became a student pastor at Somerset Southside Methodist Church. A Methodist superintendent that he met through the American Communist Party helped him get this position as a student pastor because anyone else would not have let him in because of his communist views because it was seen as bad but this guy helped him get this job he soon left this church because he didn't agree with their whites only policy so they weren't letting any people of color into any of the sermons and he did not agree with this not gonna lie quite a nice man to begin with jim jones um Anyway, so Jones witnessed a faith healing service at the Seventh-day Baptist Church. He saw that these kinds of displays attracted a lot of people, brought in a lot of money, and he realised that this would help him to accomplish his social goals. So the faith healings are those proper, like, you know, like you see in films, like the gospel is like, I believe, and then they put their hand on someone's head and it's like, you can now see, like that kind of thing. Like that epic. Like that episode of The Simpsons where Bart becomes a faith healer and they're all like, oh, and he he just gets rid of that guy's crutch and is like, you can walk now. That kind of thing is faith healing. So Jones and um, some of his first followers started faking some healings. So what they do is they'd use like chicken livers and they pretend that Jones had ripped out a cancerous tumor or something. And that's what the chicken liver was. And it brought in quite a lot of people like, oh my God, this guy's yeah. amazing. He's cured this guy of cancer. <laughs> and it's like, no, he doesn't have cancer. And that's a chicken liver. And um, yeah, so he started to gain a reputation, generating more income, increased people's faith in him and the church which then attracted more people, more people, more money, you know. Um, So in 1956, he actually bought his own church building in a racially mixed area of Indianapolis. Um, The first name he gave it was Wings of Deliverance. Um, But then he settled on the People's Temple Full Gospel Church, or known as the People's Temple for short. To increase publicity, they would hold massive conventions with up to 11,000 people attending. Other Pentecostal pastors would also be there conducting their huge faith healing. So like like a music festival, but for religious faith healing. They would impress attendees by revealing personal information about them, stuff that private detectives could find out beforehand. Jones and the temple members also drove through various cities and towns in the surrounding states in an effort to fundraise for the temple and recruit even more members. So around this time... Jones and his wife adopted a bunch of children of colour that he called his rainbow family. I don't know why I'm saying it in like such a take the piss voice because it's it's actually a really nice thing to do. It's kind of, but I think he did it more of as a, like a Ironic. look at me. Like, well, yeah. look at me. Adopt. I'm such a good person adopting all these kids from different racial backgrounds as me. So they had Agnes, who's part Native American in 1954. Then Lou, Stephanie and Suzanne, there were three Korean-American um, kids that they adopted in 1959, and he encouraged other members of the temple to adopt orphans from war-ravaged Korea because this was around the time when the Korean War was going on, which is where there was a disagreement in beliefs between North Korea and South Korea, and the Americans inserted themselves to try and fix it. So they then had a biological child in 1959 who they called Stefan Gandhi. Then, I know. Then in 19 <laughs> Then in 1961 they became the first white couple in Indiana to adopt a black child and they named him Jim Jones Jr and then they adopted a kid called Tim who was white but his biological mother was a temple member so I don't know if there's some like suspicious risky business gone on in the background there as to why they were adopting this random member of their congregation's son. So there's a quote from Jim Jones around this time, and he says, integration is a more personal thing with me now. It's a question of my son's future. So he's really into like getting abolishing racism as well as his communism. So the temple's been- sounds like a, like a lovely person so far. I know, <laughs> like he's done- Big but he did this. Yeah, there's a huge but. No, he did, honestly, he does so much good to begin with. The temple's main focus was on egalitarian ideals. Jones helped to racially integrate churches, restaurants, the police department, a theatre, amusement park and a hospital. Um, so there's this 
story that he he got rushed to hospital because he collapsed in 1961 and they accidentally put him in a black ward rather than a white ward and when he woke up they offered to move him but he absolutely refused to be moved and then he started helping making the beds cleaning up people's bedpans and because of that they um desegregated yeah desegregated all the wards so there was no longer any separate wards for black people and white people everyone was just oh, yeah yeah and I'm gonna I felt I'm gonna hate him soon, I know. but this, I know. that is so nice he opened up a soup kitchen for poor people his the temple set up their own social services type thing so that included helping people with rent uh, job placement services, free canned goods, free clothing, free coal. I think they also provided to free healthcare to like communities of color because his wife was a nurse and you quite often couldn't get good healthcare in those days because of racism. Uh, he received a lot of cris- criticism for this. So there was a swastika painted on the temple. They People hid dynamite in the coal um, and a, a dead cat was thrown at his house and he received loads of threatening phone calls. But it's thought that, like, obviously, because he was making such waves with desegregation, that it was just, like, local business owners and stuff, because apparently he used to set up sting operations to catch out restaurants and businesses that were refusing to serve black customers. So he was proper, proper on it. I think around this time, 50% of his congregation was people of colour. It's kind of around this time that he starts to paint Jesus as a communist um, whilst also attacking parts of the Bible. So on the one hand, he's like, Jesus was a communist. Look at all these examples. But then these parts of the Bible are not good. Yeah, he started mixing his political beliefs with sermons. And then there's a, I've got another quote from him. He said, if you're born in a racist America, a capitalist America, a fascist America, you are born in sin. If you were born into a... If you're born into socialism, you are not born into sin. So already he's like mixing his political ideals with the lessons from the Bible there. So the temple started asking more of its members than other churches did in an effort to tighten their control on their members. So the members had to spend Christmas and Thanksgiving with their temple family rather than with their actual relatives. This was a method of cutting people off from the outside world to ensure that they were totally committed to the temple and wouldn't like fuck off. These members would have to donate all their money, their like checks and their material possessions to the temple. But then if you think about it in return for doing all that, they're getting this like the soup kitchen and the clothing donations and all those things that, and the healthcare and yeah. stuff that I listed before. So I think to some people, it seemed like a really good deal. Like, okay, we'll pay all our money to our church and then our church is going to help us to live. Yeah. In 1961, this is kind of where it starts to get a little bit more crazy. So you can see that already he's starting to get full control on his congregation. Um, but then in 1961, he had a vision where Indianapolis and Chicago, just those two cities, were destroyed in a nuclear attack. He briefly moved to a city called Belo Horizonte in Brazil because Esquire magazine listed it as one of the safest places to be in the case of a nuclear war. So James and his family, just his family, moved there. However, the town of Belo Horizonte just didn't have the resources to support the Joneses' temple and he struggled with the language barrier. So they then moved to Rio for a bit, but the temple back in Indiana was struggling without him. So he moved back to Indiana in 1963. In 1967, uh, he moved the church to Redwood Valley in North California to ensure that they survived the incoming nuclear attack. (laughs) Because apparently Chicago and Indianapolis are going to get hit with this nuclear attack. But North Carolina, not North Carolina, North California absolutely fine and once the nuclear war happens this temple will be ready for the new socialist eden that was going to happen after here we fucking go here we, so you need to here say, we. temple of eden that's it yeah <laughs> yep yeah so like i said before it's the late 1960s where he kind of starts admitting that his social gospel was is actually just his communism he starts openly rejecting the bible stating that it was just used to oppress women and people of colour. He preached that Christianity was a flyaway religion and he distributed a book to his congregation on which parts of the Bible were absurd, contradictory, and just were describing atrocities and which parts actually contained great truths. 
So he's kind of completely like the Bible's a joke at this point. Because I think I read somewhere that actually he was an atheist. Um, he just kind of realized that the best way to spread communism was to go into the church and infiltrate it that way. In the 19, early 1970s, he moved the whole like temple to San Francisco. At this point, the temple claimed to have over 20,000 members, but actually it's more likely it had around 3,000 to 5,000 people. So Jones became involved in politics and was instrumental in the election of George Moscone as mayor of San Francisco in 1975. He formed alliances with columnists and journalists from influential press outlets. So this is like he was quite an influential figure in politics in San Francisco around the time. And I think he used this to manipulate what the press were saying about Jones and his temple and stuff to make it seem like such a good thing and gain more members and stuff. So there was one reporter who wrote an investigative piece on the temple accusing them of sexual, physical and emotional abuse. Multiple editors refused to publish this story due to its content and their involvements with Jones. However, it was released. And in the summer of 1977, because of the release of this article and all the stuff it claimed about Jonestown, he, uh, Jim Jones knew he was going to then gather further scrutiny from the press and he moved himself and hundreds of his followers to a place called Jonestown in a country called Guyana. So Guyana is an, it's an English-speaking country in South America and 68% of Jonestown hid the city, the town he created in Guyana. 68% of the people that went over there with him were black people. So the temple had started building Jonestown a few years before the summer of 1977. It was originally called the People's Temple Agricultural Project, and it was supposed to be a sanctuary or socialist paradise away from the public eye. So it was essentially like some of those um, farms. I can't remember what they're called that they used to have in the USSR. Like we learned, I learned about them when I was doing the Cold War. Just essentially like, oh, is it? Um, it's not gulag, is it? Or is it? Anyway. Essentially a communist... I know what you mean, though. Yeah, a communist farm type thing where everyone's equal apart from Jim Jones. Everyone's, like, friends with everyone. Like, you grow your own crops. So, like, however, once there, you were not allowed to leave. So, you like, you had your passport and everything taken away from you so that even if you could get out of the compound, you couldn't really go very far. When everyone was settled in, apparently he used to get... I think he used to get them to practice, like, a mass suicide just in case and he called it a translation claiming that him and his followers would all die together move to another planet and live blissfully in peace so where things start to go wrong is this guy called timothy stowen who was a member of the temple along with his wife grace he was actually the attorney for the temple as well so him and his wife grace were listed as the parents of a child named john on john's birth certificate However, Jim Jones claimed the child was biologically his because Timothy had asked Jones to have sex with Grace in order to keep her from leaving the temple. Why that would keep her from leaving the temple, I don't fucking know. If anything, okay. <laughs> if anything, that would make me go, nope, definitely leaving now. So she still left. <laughs> she still left the temple in 1976, divorced her husband, Timothy. Jones ordered Timothy to take the baby to Jonestown to prevent a custody battle for the child with Grace. Timothy left the temple in June 1977, but Jones kept the baby. So Timothy's left, Timothy and Grace have left the temple and just left their baby behind with Jim Jones. What the actual for? Yeah. On the 17th of November 1978, Timothy and other ex-members formed a concerned relatives group in an effort to rescue their family members that were still in Jonestown. Uh, Timothy managed to get the help of Leo Ryan, who was a Californian congressman, um, who had also kind of been investigating claims of abuse within the temple. So they visited Jonestown together, along with various newspaper reporters and an NBC camera crew. So also, apparently in the Soviet Union, they used to create these... They've got the farms, like we mentioned before, but they also used to create these fake farms where everyone... It was like a big theatrical performance. So when the Western press came over to see what the communist farms were like, they could be like, oh, look, everything is awesome. Everything's fantastic. We love it here. Look how well our people are thriving. But it was all kind of fake. 
essentially yeah. this was that kind of thing with Jonestown so the American press and stuff were coming down to investigate to see what it was actually like and if people actually loved it Jim Jones welcomed them all he hosted them all in like the big pavilion thing they had in the middle of the compound and everything seemed like fine and then a couple of members snuck this note to the congressman Leo Ryan were like please can we come back with you we don't want to be here anymore and in the end it turned out like 15 of them wanted to leave um, and at first, Jim Jones was like, yeah, sure, you can leave whenever you want. However, on the 18th of November, as they were all boarding the plane at the local airstrip, these um, people that decided, like, because the temple compound had, like, top security, and these people turned up at the airstrip and opened fire on the group as they were boarding the plane. They killed Leo Ryan, the Californian congressman, three of the journalists, including a cameraman who was videoing it at the time. And they, I think they managed to recover the tape and one of the escaping temple members. So, and in fact, one of the so-called escaping temple members actually didn't want to leave. So he opened fire in one of the planes before they took off at the same time as well. So yeah, sure. You can leave if you want to. It's all cool and calm, but actually we're going to shoot you fucking down. Yeah. Wow. So that same evening, 909 inhabitants of Jonestown, 304 of those 909 were children, died of cyanide poisoning in and around the central pavilion in the compound. It is the greatest single loss of American life due to a deliberate act until 9-11 happened in 2001. So this is 1978. There's actually a 45-minute audio record audio recording of the mass poisoning happen as it happens uh, the fbi have this though on the tape you can hear jones talking about how the soviet union had gone back on their agreement and were no longer going to help them relocate due to the murder at the airstrip he wanted them all to die together rather than be murdered by men who would parachute into the compound and torture and shoot them and their babies he made his followers believe that their kids would be kidnapped and converted to fascism um which to a lot of them because they were so they were taught and brainwashed to believe that fascism is so bad compared to communism well no they were brainwashed and taught that america was a fascist nation um so they didn't so this was enough to justify the suicide to a lot to like most of the members jim jones called it a revolutionary suicide and they so he gave them all a drink of grape flavored flavor aid and it was spiked with cyanide and sensitive now flavor aid is similar to kool-aid and it's an american thing and i think it's kind of like squash essentially but you make it with a powder mixed with water rather than like yeah it looks really gross yeah like when i see it on like tv programs and stuff it looks yeah really gross. well it's just full of sugar essentially um so this is where the there's that famous saying that drink the kool-aid like, that's where this has come from, that catchphrase, I suppose it is. But it wasn't actually the brand Kool-Aid that they drank. It was a cheap knockoff called Flavor Aid. So, yeah, it was spiked with cyanide and a sed- sedative. So adults would feed it to their children before drinking it themselves. And then they would lie down as families all together and just kind of close their eyes as the sedative hit- kicked in. And then it killed them all. Apparently, there was a woman and her kids who were actually in town at the time um, doing something. I'm not sure what. And she heard the call over the radio that that's what Jim Jones wanted them all to do. But because she didn't have a way of um, she wasn't with them all, she took them into the back room of a shop and slit all their throats and then killed herself. Because she was so brainwashed and she heard the trigger over the radio like they'd practiced over and over again. And she just did it. Following the mass murder-suicide, Jim Jones himself was found dead on stage at the centre of the pavilion. He was resting on a pillow near his deck chair, but he had a bullet wound to the head, which is how he died rather than drinking the cyanide. But the coroner and the autopsy said that it was consistent with suicide, so I think he made sure everyone was dead and then shot himself. And his ashes are scattered into the Atlantic Ocean, I think. But, yeah. um, Wow. So Jones, it could turn, like he was such a good man to begin with. And then all of a sudden, or it seems like he was such a good man throughout it all. And then all of a sudden he kills all these people. But apparently yeah. 
even though he banned extramarital sex among the temple members so they could only have sex within their families, he was having sex with every fucker, both male and female, in the temple members outside of his marriage. So he's still married to Marceline throughout this whole thing. She died in the mass murder-suicide. He's shagging everyone. Yeah, and I listened to a podcast about it the other day and she was like, he was definitely a top when he was shagging these men because it was like a form of control, probably. Like, yeah. Occasional sex with the male followers, but not as often as he did with the women. He was most likely bisexual, but his main physical and sexual attraction was towards women. Jim Jones himself claimed that he detested engaging in homosexual activity and he only did it for the male temple members for their own good to connect them symbolically with himself rather than for any form of pleasure. Apparently, he was the only true heterosexual and... In 1973, he was arrested and charged with lewd conduct for masturbating in the presence of an undercover police officer in the bathroom of a cinema. So, like, he sounds like this lovely man. Like, And to be fair, I think he probably did do so much for the communities around where he lived to begin with because, like, he desegregated a lot of places like the hospital. But then he was just a bit of a wanker, really. (laughs) But... <laughs> no um, pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but his um, so his three sons, Stefan, Jim Jr., and Tim, they survived the mass murder suicide because they were members of the People's Temple basketball team and they were playing away an away game in Georgetown at the time of the poisoning. How convenient. <laughs> I know. Apparently, as well, three days before the mass murder suicide, their dad had asked them to go back to jonestown for this visit with ryan the senator and they were like no we're just gonna stay here like we're just gonna stay in georgetown for a bit it's a good job they did else they would have died during the yeah i mean so you seemed lovely at the beginning but um i was already skeptical because obviously of his um infatuation with politics and religion them two combined together never ends up being something good no and no. it was definitely more of a control thing especially if he was basically fucking everyone yes um, definitely you give bisexuals a bad name <laughs> he did <laughs> no he was the one true heterosexual though <laughs> apparently yeah that's, that's also bollocks but <laughs> obviously yeah, i can't but, um, this is such a bad comparison but I can't help but think of Klaus in the second series of the Umbrella Academy when he accidentally starts a cult and he's shagging everyone in his cult as well. Have you seen the Umbrella Academy? I have tried so many times to watch season one and for some reason it's just one of those things that I can't get into. Like oh I enjoy it, like Klaus, yeah. hands down my favourite oh, because I just think yeah. it's so wacky, but I, I unfortunately have not watched sec- the second season. Um, but Klaus gets even better in the second season. But it's definitely like a form of control, though. But obviously, yeah. it's like what you said earlier, like, you know, a really heightened sense of um, self-importance. Like, they believe absolutely. that, like, their word is absolute. Yeah. And, you know, things have definitely happened in, like, his life. Obviously, we don't really know about it. But no. that have made him act that way. See, I feel like the two comparisons we've got here is examples of nature versus nurture. But I think Manson, he obviously had a shit upbringing. He didn't have a family, so he created his own twisted family. But I think with Manson, it's kind of nurture because there was no one to nurture him as he grew up. Yeah. Whereas with Jim Jones, Jim Jones, it sounded like he had quite a nice family, the little bits I could find about it. And then he was quite a nice person and had a big following. So I think maybe, I don't know if it was just in his nature to be very egotistical and narcissistic and develop the following like he did or what, but. Yeah. They're kind of, yeah. With the things that like he was investing in, so obviously politics and also the texts that he was reading and the authors that wrote those texts are like Karl Marx, for example, and Hitler. Yeah. And then Gandhi. Yeah, I mean, Gandhi is a massive contradiction anyway yeah. to, like, all the other ones. But, like, you're reading Hitler, and then obviously the way it's... I mean, I've never read a Hitler text, but I'm assuming yeah. you'll be brainwashed yourself into believing that that's, yeah. that's reality. Like, I think he... The, the forms of communism he practised where everyone is equal, I think some of it brought such good social justice to the neighbourhoods that he was preaching yeah. in. 
we got like a power trip yeah definitely and it's kind of like him like obviously being in charge of you know the temple and stuff and having all these followers like kind of activated like some psychological persona that might you know was basically like it came to light a bit more when um you know the more power the more control that he got yeah Um, he he got a bit of a god complex really because I've got another quote from him here he said what you need to believe in is what you can see if you see me as your friend I'll be your friend if you see me as a as your father I'll be your father if you see me as your savior I'll be your savior if you see me as your god I'll be your god so definitely got a god complex right there yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, I mean, Manson was just like a subject of society, you know. Yeah. What he was a result of society. Society mistreated him very, very badly. And his reaction was, you know what, fuck you all. Yeah. And I started developing these like twisted perspectives yeah. in life. Um, I mean, racism around those times. I mean, when did they even abolish, abolish slavery? It wasn't that long ago. No, and um, so it was only 1955 when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white man on a segregated bus. Exactly. So, so this is wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, exactly. So it's this is so you got the Cold War happening around this time, which is they were all very racist against the Russians and communists because yeah. their propaganda taught them to believe that all that was bad. You've got the desegregation of like buses and stuff is happening around this time as well and Jim Jones was obviously helping with that kind of thing it's just really interesting isn't it though that Manson and Jim Jones it all happened around the same time and it's so different but there's completely the same links the same things going on like racism they just completely acted complete both completely differently to it like Jim Jones left the church he was preaching at studying at to begin with because they were racist whereas Manson was preparing for an uprising of the blacks versus the whites like yeah I mean I don't really condone with obviously Jones like you know probably infiltrating like you know the church because religion already has a bad name anyway like um, and that's because people like that feel like they have to like force other people to join them like yeah and it you know it's very cultish nowadays as well yeah it's more about politics than it is about faith yeah and that's the whole point of religion like you can have yeah. a different type of religion compared to someone else but it's about your faith and it's about what you believe in yeah. but bring politics into it far too much now and yeah. i think that's probably where it all stemmed yeah. from is it, you know these <clears throat> self-important self-righteous god complex yeah centric people who thought they could change the world and create this new Eden, which, and, you know, is always yeah. going to go down horribly. Yep. But it's it's sad that people like Jim Jones went into, thought the best way for him to do that was through the church and conning people into having faith in him rather than actually yeah. just becoming a politician or anything. Well, it's, That's it's just blasphemy against the church, isn't it? It's just yeah. shoving oh, yeah. their religion in their face because you know you're abusing that kind of power because yeah. you should be there as like not really enforcing anything but you're like a supporter that's yeah. the whole point of you being there yeah so he violated that right as soon as he started yeah. shagging everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then having little master 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 with you that was terrible way <laughs> having a wank having in a wank- bath <laughs> yeah having wanking sessions yeah in the bathroom like Jim Jones I think he's so interesting just because of how on the surface he seems such a nice guy and he actually did a lot of good and then he was caught wanking in a bathroom shagged everyone and then managed to convince 900 people to kill themselves it just kind of um I want to know like I mean obviously we're never going to find out but surely there must have been a trigger now I've watched enough criminal criminal minds now to know (laughs) know. now when things like that escalate there have been I think he knew that some of his methods were unethical um, and that he could only get away with them for so long, which is why he had prepared the mass suicide and all his followers knew what to do. 
And then he got angry that people actually wanted to leave the church, his temple, and made him look bad in front of the congressman and the reporters and the news. Then he got angry, killed them, and was like, oh, shit, can't really back out of this one. I'll just kill us all. Sorted. Yeah. That, I think, essentially is... He knew... Yeah. He kind of... I think he knew that what he was doing was not fully ethical. Yeah. He must have done. That definitely um, was the escalation there. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, I mean, he, if we're like talking about control, he would have, it would have been an insult to him that people were saying that they yeah. wanted to leave. Absolutely. So that definitely would have triggered his response to be like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you anyway, and you're going to be mine because I'm yeah. the one that's killed you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, they're good to like compare against because Manson went a very dark and twisted way. I mean, yeah. obviously, Jones did as well towards the end, but it's like what you said, like, he did start off in a really good light. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think the power and, yeah. you know, the resp- responsibility did um, get to him. Yeah. Or that famous saying, um, either uh, die as the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. Which is very true. Yeah, and he tried to die as the hero because he convinced everyone that they were dying to save yeah to be the heroes in their story to stop yeah but yeah. they were already villains at this point yeah he so personally was... was already a villain they were victims he... yeah 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 so, i definitely enjoyed listening to that it was very interesting because i i didn't hear of him before when yeah. you mentioned him i was just like oh okay this is gonna I be fun. like drink the kool-aid well i'd heard the saying drink the kool-aid and i'd heard of Jonestown and associated that with a cult I did not link the two together and I didn't really know about anything about yeah. it but even though I I'm knew some re- bits about Manson but yeah enough, um, I knew some bits but like I knew Sharon Tate was involved but that was yeah kind of it um but um uh, have you seen the film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by no. Quentin Tarantino at, no it's uh around the time of the Manson oh, family it? oh right yeah it's um it's a very unpredictable film. I feel like mm. you might enjoy it. Definitely it, worth a watch. Has it got quite a lot of famous actors in, like Ryan Gosling? It's Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. I don't know why Ryan Gosling popped into my head, but... <laughs> it, like, the ending, I was not expecting at all. So definitely, yeah. uh, if you have some time, watch it, because, um, yeah, it's good. And um, I like some Quentin Tarantino films, but not all. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like everyone bums Quentin Tarantino. And sometimes I'm a bit like, eh. He's done some films I've really enjoyed, like Inglorious Bastards. Yes, that, I love that film. film. Maybe now I'm older, I might watch some of them again and I might enjoy them a bit more, but... Yeah, well, Morgina, like, you know, wanted me to watch it because it was, like, one of her favourite films. So yeah. I watched Pulp Fiction and I was like, no, I've just wasted my time watching yeah. this. Like, I don't I, think... I don't understand any of it. Like no. so yeah. 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 There's a book called Helter Skelter that's been on my to read list for ages that's about the Manson family. Oh I really okay. want to read that. Put it on my list. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I have like an ever growing book list and TV oh, me list. Too. There's no there's no way in my lifetime at the ripe old age of 29 there's no way i will be able to read my entire to read list before i die no chance <laughs> like you should definitely just... make it make it one of your aims in life though because that would be quite an achievement yeah but it's forever but, um... growing and there's just not enough time left for me to yeah, finish so, it. <laughs> so i um my plans so i can't remember the the name of the woman who translated it but she managed to translate the odyssey by homer yeah so that's on my list. I am going to read the Odyssey and the Iliad. Which sure, is quite I'm... difficult reading. Yeah. So I'm like, bye. I was planning on reading Les Miserables this year, but don't know if I will get round to that. I'm sure I read somewhere a lot in the past. A lot of texts have been translated by men, and actually, when a woman goes back and translates it, the stories are very, very different because she picked a woman picks different slightly different words for things than the men do yes so i know about this one i know what you're trying to say yes thank you <laughs> the woman that translated the odyssey yeah so there are certain words that men would use to describe women 
and they would mean it as like you know very compliment complimentary and it wasn't very yeah. derogatory um and it's it slates women basically because at that time that's you know yeah that's what the social status was between men and women so um it's more accurate this translation is yes um, there we because go because men basically try and continue I don't know what the right word is but continue like the slating of women yeah in the in the translations yeah. and people will believe that that's you know that men are being nice and it's not they yeah. are being very uh horrible hurtful yeah. yeah yeah I'm trying to say like something along the lines of which cult would you prefer to be in <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> which <laughs> Would you would you rather be part of the Manson family or move to Jonestown? See, I'd say the Manson family on the basis that I knew that I wouldn't be dying by mass suicide. I wouldn't be dying by cyanide poison poisoning. Yeah. At the time though, I feel like the Manson family was probably easier to escape than the People's Temple. Yeah. And I'm sure you could just not kill someone for Charles Manson. But then if you were yeah. brainwashed it- I don't know. There was but definitely then, a few people that that didn't, you know, yeah. kill the, anybody. Like they just did, like you know, robbery and stuff like that. But yeah, um, I think it would have definitely been easier to escape rather than going to a compound. Mm. However, from you. me and you, we quite like the thought of traveling the world. So the thought of moving <laughs> to a lovely, yeah. a lovely sanctuary dead chill grow your own food in south america place in south america or potentially have to kill someone as part of the manson family i would probably pick jonestown if you didn't know what was going to happen and what it was going to be like and if you fully believed in if you fully believed in charles manson or or jim jones i feel like believing in jim jones is a much healthier and it seems much more nice and positive thing to believe in than Manson yeah see I'm all about finding loopholes so surely there should be a loophole <laughs> in trying to not swallow the cyanide yeah and the so just, just like oh oh I've swallowed it that's just piss on the floor I've just wet myself <laughs> yeah I don't know um, but then again if he had waited because obviously he shot himself didn't he he would have checked everyone so I don't know I don't know I think in them in them circumstances circumstances yeah probably would have ended up in Jonestown yeah to be honest I don't think I would have ended up in Manson family no yeah same are the Manson family mentioned at the beginning of one of the Conjuring films I can't remember even though I watched them all the fucking time what was the one that I watched when I was so have I watched two whilst messaging you and there was that one where there's that woman who's pregnant at the beginning. Is Anna, is it not Annabelle? Annabelle Creation, where uh, their no, next door neighbours, Annabelle. Annabelle. The first Annabelle when she's pregnant. When she's pregnant and she's obsessed yeah. with those dolls. And then the family next door, her daughter's gone off to join a Manson family cult, hasn't she? And then she comes back oh, and kills a cult. But I'm sure it's implied that it's a Manson family. Possibly. And then she comes it was back. Around and, that time, wasn't it? Yeah, murders her parents and then. Yeah. Sometimes I think things like these cults and Vlad the Impaler, for example, they get so used in horror films and modern culture that they're bigged up to be more of these immense legends than they actually are. Because there's is there old a... Fla- Vladdy. Vlad, Vlad the lad. Um, <laughs> because in Annabelle, she they say that there's so much Satan satanism and stuff to do with charles manson don't they or the whatever cult she's in actually maybe it isn't a manson one i don't know yeah like if if they do something that's like you know against what god would do they instantly relate it to satanism um, yeah and paganism like they always get the two yeah confused not the same thing huns no not today satan not today today krampus though (laughs) Hey, <laughs> he's my best boy. <laughs> you got me a little house and a picket fence ready, Grumpus. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be so disappointed when I go to hell, and that's not a thing. I know. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Please, please, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's t- what's today's lesson? Don't drink the Kool Aid. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I thought about this halfway through the episode as soon as you mentioned the Kool-Aid and yeah. I was like that's going to be today's lesson don't drink Kool-Aid never be peer pressured into drinking anything yeah yes and don't. that goes for today yeah like, that... don't want to drink don't want to drink fine yeah, absolutely absolutely that's twice I've said absolutely in this episode <laughs> and I never say that in real life <laughs> I watched a um, what's it like a little video of uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Oh and, yeah. Uh, she was being interviewed by someone who was like, "Oh, what have what like advice have you learnt from like uh, you know your your sisters that you use in your like everyday life?" And she's uh, she said, uh, "No is a full full sentence." Yes, that is a very good lesson. And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> anyway, shall we say goodbye? As in to the listeners not to each other like I'm not, I'm not like I'm bored of you now shall we say goodbye you're very nonchalant about that yeah. shall we shall say, say goodbye, goodbye? Uh, yes we shall cool thank you for listening to our 10th episode of gin and spooks please head to our instagram which is at gin and spooks where we will do a photo dump of everything we've talked about in this episode we also have a blog which is gin and spooks at wordpress.com uh, so you can log on there to see the photos as well if you don't have instagram if you have any scary stories of your own or even drink suggestions please email them over to us at gin and spooks at gmail.com or send us a direct message or dm uh, on <laughs> our instagram page or facebook page we always yeah. forget the facebook page we always forget the facebook page i think that i think it's just gin and spooks podcast search us on facebook should be able to find it and yeah stay safe bye. and spooky <laughs> bye bye <laughs> 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 i know <laughs>